Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Hello and welcome to the AEW Collision Review. I'm Michael Hamford from What Culture, and I'm joined by absolutely nobody from What Culture uh, to discuss everything that happened on Saturday's episode of Collision. Uh, first, if you're a fan, not so much of this sort of thing, but of the sort of thing we usually do, make sure to subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts, where we not only preview and review AEW Collision, but also AEW Dynamite, Monday Night Raw, Friday Night Smackdown, the show formerly known as NXT 2.0, pay-per-views, Premium live events, we also hold uh, wrestler interviews and have roundtables and round of the week complete with the bloody good quiz, of course, on wrestle culture. Um, thank you if you've stuck with me past the intro and indeed through this review. It's a bit um, out of character for us. We try not to do these one-person podcasts too often. We know that the conversation and the banter and the back and forth and indeed the buttons are part of the fun. But for those long-term listeners, and I hope for all of your sakes, this is not your first ever one. Otherwise, please go and check out all of the wonderful ones we've got on our feed from years and years and years gone by. But for those regular listeners, indeed those that were listening this morning for our SmackDown review or are yet to listen to the SmackDown review, you may be aware that today indeed could be the big day for Adam Wilborn and his better half as they potentially welcome their new bundle of joy into the world. He's had to rush off right before we started this uh, collision review, which is why... Uh, I'm probably sounding a little bit rattled because uh, the main man is not going to be around to join me for this one and hold my hand through it as normally would because hopefully soon enough he will have his own little hand to hold uh, and indeed grab those little fingers around the thumb. Send Anna Wilborn your very best wishes over the next few days. I'm sure we will all get an update in the very near future of all of that going on in his exciting life over the next few days. But I suppose, um, from those exciting personal life developments, we move to some slightly controversial ones. Uh, I don't know if I'm playing into the cliche and the criticisms of CM Punk by starting a collision review, not with just the entirety of collision, but indeed the latest on CM Punk. Let's start at the end before we go back to the beginning, if that's all right with all of you. Because the talking points coming out of Saturday's collision were not um, what was... For my money, the weakest episode of Collision yet with a kick AS main event. But the comments made afterwards, and of course this is often used, somewhat rightfully so, as a stick to beat CM Punk with that the reality and the facts of a situation can sometimes get in the way of the fantasy and the fiction. And the show seemed to, um, on Saturday after the taping, CM Punk took the microphone um, in between Collision finishing and the Ring of Honor tapings continuing and made a joke. You've probably all seen the video doing the rounds on Twitter now. Uh, he was in Hangman Page country down there uh, and made the point that Hangman Page got the nickname Hangman because his figures hang off the shelves, called Hangman Page a peg warmer, uh, laughed off his comments, tried to say he didn't really know where he was. The House of Black chopped him, chopped the life out of him, and he'd said no chops. So he was all banged up and bruised up and, <laughs> and all of that. Um so yeah, it just sort of feels like that was going to be the story until the story itself got bigger. Um, as we sit down to record this, um, what was going to be one of the talking points of the Collision Review, and I suppose the vibe of AEW Collision was reports that have come today from Dave Meltzer on the Wrestling Observer. Quite shocking ones as well. Um, 
Hangman Page was supposedly to be uh, at Collision to film a pre-tape. That didn't go ahead. Uh, Page ultimately was sent away. As has been uh, in recent weeks reported now, Matt Hardy and Head of Talent Relations Christopher Daniels, as well as... um, Nick Nemeth, no, that's Dolph Ziggler. Do I mean Ryan Nemeth? I'm going to check that. Ryan Nemeth um, as well. So that's uh, at least four names now that have been sent away from collision tapings over the past few weeks. Uh, at least this is according to Wrestling Observer. I think Voices of Wrestling had that up. I apologise. This is all quite breaking as I sit down to record. Um, it doesn't sound like all is well. Uh, there's obviously been debates since Punk returned about exactly how things were backstage, whether or not there had been um, meetings brokered between the two warring sides. On either side, I guess, of the brawl-out divide. Um, collision, as we've talked about at length on these podcasts, is something that exists in itself as a bit of a compromise, as a way for all the talent to coexist without really needing to coexist. A soft split roster, if you will. Uh, but it does seem now as if there's going to be more fallout, not just from Punk's words towards Hangman Page, which, if I'm honest, at the time when I first heard them, felt like, to me at least, like they were uh, maybe part of a decision by Punk to try and bring the discussion of him working with the elite back into conversation, much in the same way Kenny Omega mentioned that he would be working. Um, you might see the elite on Collision a few weeks ago. These felt for a while, like baby steps towards resolution. And as usual, it's incredibly difficult to see CM Punk to separate um, what you know versus maybe what you think you know. And it, this does feel like it's all going to get worse before it gets better. There has been much speculation today that this feels like we're on the slow stroll to CM Punk's next uh, all-out 2022-style uh, rant as he did in the press conference so who knows who knows what's going to happen it certainly has uh, diverted the conversation away from collision which i don't necessarily think is a good thing um although of all the weeks to divert the conversation ironically this was probably the one to do it uh, it's a shame that maybe conversation around the quality main event which we'll get to has been lost but this did feel to me like the weakest of the collision and we'll just i can't uh, recap matches in the way of the great adam Wilborn anyway but we'll race through the card altogether uh, and kind of like see if well I say we. If I can sum up some thoughts, and then you can tell me on Twitter how I was wrong. And please, dear God, get other people in for these podcasts, which, by the way, we will do. Uh, a little bit of housekeeping on that before we start Collision. Um, obviously now, potentially with Will Bond being gone, Sidgwick is on holiday this week. Do not fear. You will not just be stuck with me and me alone over the next few days. We will have a number of rotating guest hosts that will come in and carry my ignorant ass through these podcasts. And then obviously in the run up to uh, All In, there will be a couple of days where myself and Sidgwick respectively will be doing uh, summer holiday stuff. But we will have all the pre-All In Wembley news, all the usual uh, reviews, previews, things like that for AEW. And then, of course, all the stuff and the aid of the event as well in the ways of reviews and the like. We will do everything we can over this uh, wacky summer to try and get as many podcasts out to you. But as we've kind of said over the last few weeks, um, as weird and as strange as the schedule is going to go for the next, well, like, I guess, month or so maybe now, there's some pretty cool stuff coming at the other end of it that we're very, very excited to share with you. So be patient if that's okay, and we will get that stuff to you as soon as possible. So, to AW Collision from the Greensboro Coliseum in uh, North Carolina, Hangman Country, you see Hangman Page signs, we get the usual um, Saturday night's main event type introductions with all the key players from tonight, uh, including CM Punk. 
who, uh, who lays out the challenge to the House of Black. Uh, you've got Christian Cage and others. Uh, we, but we start off proper with uh, Tony Schiavone. He uh, gives us the uh, recap of last week's shocking attack on Ricky Steamboat by Ricky Starks. And he brings out absolute Ricky Starks. Um, Starks has still got his uh, awesome pyro. Uh, but that's the only celebration there's going to be for him tonight. He brings out... Ricky Steamboat's belt that he whipped him with as a trophy of sorts. But because of those actions, uh, Shivani confirms that Ricky Starks has been suspended for 30 days from wrestling in AEW. That's across Dynamite, Collision, and indeed the upcoming shows. We've got a fight for the fallen, fight a fest, all in and all out that Ricky will now miss all of them. Um, Stark seems to accept at first. He says that, well, all actions have consequences. But he means Ricky Steamboat, of course. Um, had Ricky not cost him the match, Starks wouldn't have had to whip him, but he got what was coming to him. No fear if you're an absolute Ricky Starks fan because he's got himself a manager's license. So he'll be here every week, even if he can't get in the ring. Um, Starks hey, goes a little bit crazy here. He kind of does a bit of a declaration of war promo. Um, whether or not that was on CM Punk or on AW at large, nonetheless, um, I think the line was, I'm going to bring the war to your front door. Um, which would lead one to believe that he's going to be continuing something with CM Punk. They've, you know, set up a rubber match now at the very least for their series. But the uh, the question was left as to who Ricky Starks would be the manager of. He's got that license. I guess we'll see maybe on Dynamite and Collision how he can work his way now into some of those big events that he will otherwise miss. Um, after that, we've got a recap video for the Young Bucks versus FTR. Uh, the match, obviously, at this point, kind of builds itself. Really, it's the biggest, it's the biggest tag team match in all of wrestling, which is why it's on the biggest wrestling show of all time. It's one of the matches thus far in the build that does sort of feel like it belongs on AEW's, for the want of a better phrase, grandest stage. Uh, you know, you get little moments of the very recent. Uh, exchanges between the two sides, but ultimately this is something that dates back. Predates AEW, truthfully, of course. FTR exists because it was once F the Revival from Cody and the Unbox and being the Elite, and it will all settle itself at Wembley Stadium, one to look forward to. Uh, next, we've got the Acclaimed. They're taking on the Iron Savages, formerly known to you and, well, to me and to anybody else that I guess doesn't watch Dark or Ring of Honor where this has happened. This was Bear Country, uh, Bear Bronson and Bear Boulder in their Iron Savages gimmick. Um, it's a sort of slight persona change they took on last summer. And this was fundamentally a TV squash that went longer than a TV squash to get through a commercial break. It was a little bit strange. Uh, the acclaimed, uh, obviously, currently still mourning the loss of uh, Billy Gunn. There was a great moment where Bones, uh, after Max Caster's rap, went to do the uh, scissor me daddy ass line, but realised that there was no daddy ass to scissor, so he had to scissor Max instead. So the two of them are still selling the absence of daddy ass, but were nonetheless able to get the win. Uh, as I say, it did go through a commercial break, and it went, uh, well, the fight ended in nearly 10 minutes, to be honest, but that was... Um, the acclaimed getting over the the sort of the, the size difference of uh, the iron savages uh they hit their all the usual spots the sismi uh, timbers and the like and then they defeated the iron savages with uh famouses they hit stereo famouses in tribute to to billy gunn and uh there was at least a suggestion at least that billy gunn may have retired but the acclaimed might do everything they can to talk him back into the ring um they're going to be on dynamite this Wednesday, they want to carry the spirit of Billy Gunn back to the uh, tag division if they can't work trios. Um, and they ask the fans to at least make some noise for him to let him know that uh, he's still being thought of by the fans. This is interesting, obviously, with the acclaimed 
possibly moving back and pivoting back into the tag division. But it does also feel like with the House of Black, uh, spoiler alert, remaining trios champions off the back of this episode of Collision, a third and final shot against the acclaimed, maybe with Daddy Ass's career on the line. That maybe is on the docket for Wembley or possibly Chicago. But I guess we'll see how that one plays out. We go to the Bang Bang Gang. They're uh, backstage. Uh, all four of them are just messing around, basically. Um, they call themselves the uh, elite version of Bullet Club. Um, and the challenge isn't so much as specifically laid out, but it's certainly implied that they are keen to sort of take on the elite with the guns specifically ready to take on the Young Bucks on this Wednesday's edition of Dynamite. Uh, the timing of this promo, I should point out, by the way, that this was one of two uh, Bullet Club Gold promos that were kicking around online over the weekend, and I absolutely do go recommend you try and track down the other one. I saw it through Twitter, but it might have been on AW's YouTube channel as well. It's uh, Juice Robinson mourning the end of his collision streak, where he wrestled every single week up until last week, and he was a little bit good that nobody noticed. But the rest of the Bing Bing Gang, the Guns, Jay White, and uh, the cardboard cutout of Jay White as well, Cardblade, um, had gone to the trouble of getting him a cake uh, and a balloon and all that sort of stuff. It's really, really funny stuff. These four feel like they're having the time of their lives in this gimmick at the moment. Um, and as much as there was obviously a lot of discourse, plenty of which I got swallowed up in, thanks very much, Don Callis, uh, over the proposed and rumoured trios match that, according to Dave Meltzer, as of Saturday, will feature... Um, Jay White, Juice Robinson and Konosuke Takeshita versus Kenny Omega, Hangman Page and Kota Ribushi. Uh whilst it doesn't really feel like there was anything deep in the guts of AEW storytelling if we discount a lot of um, long-standing uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling uh, headcanon or things that were left things that were left unsaid in uh, New Japan way back when um, this was the first sort of sign that we might be going down that route at least, that Bullet Club Gold and our target in the Elite directly. That would indeed bring these two sides together if indeed you were going to book that trios match. And I guess we will find out this Wednesday on Dynamite. Uh, there's a, another video package for Adam Cole and MJF at All In. And then after that, it's Chris Statlander and Willow Nightingale against Mercedes Martinez and Diamante. Of course, this starts. Um, this comes from last week when Diamante returned and Swerve turned on Chris Statlander and Nightingale made the save. It was another strong week for Mercedes Martinez in particular, I thought, here. Um, the women were given... Well, I was going to say the women were given time, but then, oddly, they were only given the same amount of time as the acclaims inverted commas squash. But nonetheless, it was super hard-hitting. Um, and again, Mercedes Martinez, I think, deserves to be isolated for praise here about how she has kind of dropped herself into this collision women's division, if you want to call it that, the match against Stat, and now the match against both Willow and Stat, and just looks immediately like contender all over again. Feels super authentic, super credible. Um had a, an up-and-down run with AEW the first time out, but she just seems incredibly focused and incredibly keen to impress and, um, I don't know, shore up her footing, I guess, in this women's division. And we got it here through the heels actually getting the victory. Um, I should point out the finish was... It wasn't screwed up as such, but um, Mercedes Martinez uh, reversed a roll-up first on Willow Nightingale um, and then Diamante helped for the win. And it was supposed to obviously look like the two of them had gotten the win at Willow's expense, but it just looked a little bit sloppy instead. Um, fans didn't really know how to react to that, but it was certainly into the rest of the match. Martinez, again, just super hard hitting. Uh, Willow's a wonderful um, babyface in peril. Statlanders becoming all the more dominant at TVS champion. And to be honest, all four felt as if they were making a case for themselves in the Wembley 
TBS title match, if indeed there's going to be one. Um, there was no indication here that the TBS championship would be on the line, but you would assume that every wrestler desperately wants to get on this card, and at least in kayfabe, that should be the case. Um, the problem, I guess, with booking a four-way is that you've now already established one with the world championship, and that in itself, as we went into in lots of detail on the Dynamite review last week, is uh, well, there's some good and bad to the booking of a four-way match for the women's title. So... Who's used to know what they're going to do with the TBS title, but Mercedes Martinez certainly put her name forward for a rematch here. Um, and Diamante didn't make a bad account for herself either. So I don't know whether or not um, this is going to put Statlander on the back foot. Maybe Nightingale is going to work a babyface babyface match. Unsure, unsure. We'll see where this goes. Maybe uh, Wembley is too optimistic for them at some point, but I think from a representation standpoint, it would be quite a bad look if they didn't include a TBS champion. Uh, TBS Championship match on the card. Uh, speaking of the women's division, and indeed of all in London, we go next to Tony Storm. Um, she is still playing her, uh, I guess, like Marilyn Monroe, whatever happened to Baby Jane, um, character that has experienced a great setback, obviously losing the AW Women's title. We've seen her in this um, robe. She, of course, uh, came down with the outcast for Soraya's... Um, Qualifying match against Sky Blue in the gear. Obviously still part of the outcast, but looking aesthetically increasingly different and disconnected from the group. Um, She says she has been depressed since losing the title, but things are on the mend. She's got, obviously, uh, the London match now. She's going to be one of the four. She's pleased that Soraya is going to be there. She makes a reference that in the locker room, there is an awful lot of backstabbing and toxicity, and she's glad that Soraya is there for backup. We, of course, know what she's referencing there. Um, Storm ultimately gets tired of uh, the interview with Lexi, um, tells her to shut up and leaves. And because she doesn't shut up as she closes the interview, you then see a shoe flying past Lexi's head that Tony Storm has thrown at her as she calls for security to throw Lexi out. Tony Storm massively throwing herself into this gimmick here. Um, kind of a joy to watch. And it does make you wonder if, uh, once all is said and done with a four-way, if Soraya is... Uh, successful in winning the title perhaps that will send Tony further into this spiral and this character feels like it's separating itself from the outcasts and indeed Storm feels like she's separating herself onto Saturdays while the other two potentially remain on Wednesdays so we'll see this could be um, a less than acrimonious uh, split for the outcasts but a welcome change in direction for Tony Storm especially who just wears this character so well already um, next we go to um, Samojo versus Andrew Everett. This is only a slightly longer squash than last week's awesome Samojo showcase. Uh, Everett tried. He was doing his, uh, he had his Andrew the Giant uh, gear on, but it didn't do him much good, truthfully. Um, he tried to make his big comeback. Uh, Joe does the walk away from an Everett big dive. Um, Close lines his head off and locks in the Kakina clutch. Um, Joe, after the fact, obviously announces himself still as the king of television, as the Ring of Honor TV champion. He's yet to hear from CM Punk. He calls him a coward for remaining silent after, of course, he challenged him to the match at Wembley Stadium last week. Uh, he's, <laughs> the real world's champion is acting like a real bitch. Uh, but now, seeing as after asking him, he wasn't given a reply, he's simply going to take what he wants. Joe tells Punk um, that he's going to find a way to convince him. And of course, we'd have more on that later on. Um, next up, we've got uh, Christian Cage and Luchasaurus. Uh, Cage remains TNT champion in his own mind. Um he jokes about being in North Carolina and how everyone there is a relation. Mocks the place, um, 
says that uh, Michael Jordan, a North Carolina native, is not as good as LeBron James, and that Christian Cage is a better worker than anybody that ever came from North Carolina, including Ric Flair. Um, Before we go any further, though, this podcast is brought to you by Rocket Money. Do you ever feel like money is just flying out of your account and you've got no idea where it's going? Well, it's all those subscriptions. I mean, think about it. Between streaming services, fitness apps, delivery services, it is endless. I'm guilty of this, so I used Rocket Money to help me find out what subscriptions I'm actually spending money on, and it was more shocking than a wrestling betrayal. You see, Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in cancelled subscriptions. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash wrestling. That's rocketmoney.com slash wrestling. Rocketmoney.com slash wrestling. He notes that um, the TNT champion, which he kind of constantly uses as a way to frame both himself and Luchasaurus as a title holder, have been disrespected by Darby Allen. But as long as he's got the belt in his hands, Darby will never get near it. Um, he's not fussed that Darby wants the TNT title back. He's not scared of it. Uh, <laughs> Christian gets a line in about how 50% of your face makes you look dead. Well, if you mess with Christian Cage, the other 50% will be as well. Um, but speaking of killing guys, we get Armed Anderson, who makes a return to television along with Son Brock. It's obviously been a little while since they were bludgeoned by Christian Cage and Leechosaurus. Um, if ketchup is blood, and to me, well, ketchup is grosser than blood. But nonetheless, they are back. Um, North Carolina is, of course, horseman country. So they get a fantastic reaction and on brilliantly manages to rev that up as well. Um, he makes it clear that to Luchasaurus, in case he's able to understand him, that he is the champion and not Christian Cage. Um, Christian Cage says, the last time you were this relevant, it was when we decked you. And unlucky for you, there's going to be no more open challenges. If only there was, Arn, I would kick your ass. Arn notes that how if he wasn't retired, and this was a couple of decades ago, he would have gone in there and absolutely battered Christian. Um, but instead, he sends Brock in for this uh, open challenge against Luchasaurus, um, which obviously, as you can imagine, doesn't go too well. Um, for the younger Anderson. Uh, he gets a bit of stuff in on Luchasaurus, but this fairly um, mid-five-minute match ends when uh, Luchasaurus smashes Brock Anderson in the back with a clothesline after also flattening him with a choke slam. Um, there was very little to go from this. Some of it was in picture-in-picture. Picture. Luchasaurus took most of the match, as you can imagine, with obviously being the heel. Brock Anderson's comeback didn't really make believers out of the crowd, which perhaps hurt the finish a little bit. Um, but uh, ultimately, like this was Anderson being used as a sentimental squash for Luchasaurus. Uh, however, the match is not really the story as much as the post-match where Darby Allen uh, comes down to the ring. He's got his skateboard with him, and he smashes it off the back of Luchasaurus. He makes a joke that Luchasaurus is a dinosaur that's been around, he says, for 65 billion years, which you can sort of hear on the ramp Luchasaurus correcting him. Um, but he says, oh, you've been around those time, but you never had a skateboard up your ass, uh, which is weird. Um, but then he challenges both of them anyway to a match uh, on Collision. Christian Cage is kind of baited into accepting, and certainly the implication is made that uh, Darby will go for the TNT title um, with his uh, shot that he won in Royal Rampage at All Out. 
which means now Derby has uh, a match for all in and a match for all out that are both based on separate views that are effectively built. I'll just sort of to do a bit of editorialising here because obviously being by yourself, it just feels easier to run through the results. Darby Allen, for me at the moment, feels like the model in AEW of maybe how they should have tried to approach this all-in, all-out muddle. All the debate and all the discourse over the weekend about the build to uh, the show in Wembley. And my personal feelings, for those that don't keep up with the social media bubble or indeed follow me on Twitter, are that there has been something of a B-show energy to the Wembley build, with with a couple of obvious notable exceptions, and you know what they are. But the, uh, the Kenny Omega rumours sort of doubled down on that. And then if you look at what Darby Allen's up to, he has a hugely emotional and evocative programme on the go at the moment on Dynamite with Nick Wayne and Mogul Embassy, and yet is able to fight for a title on the other side because of how much thought's been put into the booking of this character. It strikes me a little bit as though, considering that Wembley was announced in April and you started hearing murmurings of the all-out uh, seven-day split between the two shows in June, I think early July, absolute latest, um, feels a shame to me that with both shows on the whiteboard long enough, Wembley especially, they haven't managed to map out ways for all of their big single stars to to, to have this, to be um, featured in either big singles or big tags. And at personal taste, I kind of don't include trios as big tags, and maybe that's a reason why uh, there was more debate, just because you're seeing six great wrestlers in what all objectively be a great wrestling match it doesn't necessarily mean that the story is going to be all that captivating and AEW I think have proven again in my personal opinion with these trios belts over the last year or so that storytelling within that division isn't really uh, held up to a particularly high standard because the match quality typically overcomes all Um, it's just not the anticipation and not the feeling and the vibe that I think a lot of people would have liked going into again it's worth repeating the biggest show this company has ever done. Indeed, the biggest show it may ever do. Um, it's hard to imagine them drawing this crowd again for Wembley Stadium. Could be the biggest crowd that many of these wrestlers have ever or will ever work in front of. Um, and for the longest time, could be the closest AEW gets to a show that visually can replicate something of a WrestleMania. And with that, I promise to the wrestlers that you don't need to go to WWE to get a stage this grand. Um, it just feels like there maybe could have been a few more matches befitting of that. But nonetheless... Um, that's not to take away from the fabulous job they've done with Darby Allen of achieving exactly all of those things. It just makes you wonder if with a bit of time and planning and forethought they could have done that with a few more of their biggest single stars. Um, speaking of, well, exactly that, in fact, um, one of their, two of their biggest single stars um, in Powerhouse Hobbs and Miro, which was something set up here when Hobbs came out back with the book of Hobbs. Uh, he was also wearing the gold chain that uh, QT Marshall had given him as a peace offering. Uh, and then he mentioned last week how an opportunity uh, has presented itself, um, noting specifically All Out. Uh, he puts over Chicago and the uh, site of the first collision as being this big thing uh, up in the future. And he says he's uh, looking for um, something that will help bring in peace, which was the Book of Hobbes. Uh, and that the next chapter in the book is Redemption. And he's asked himself how he can redeem himself after losing the TNT title and the Owen Hart tournament. And that, of course, is the key word that brings out Miro. Uh, Absolutely enormous reaction in the building, as you can imagine, for the prospect of these two hosses finally coming face to face. 
But as Miro walks the aisle, he's attacked by Aaron Solo and Nick Comorato from Key TV. Um, I didn't realise Nick Comorato was still with them, to be honest, but Key T Marshall was uh, elsewhere, I guess. So Comorato stepped in. So the two of them decked Miro, beat him up from behind, threw him into the uh, steps on the outside. Powerhouse Hobbs didn't get involved. Um, and then Miro is thrown into the ring by the two goons, at which point um, Hobbs does go for, I think he hits him with a spine buster while Miro's kind of distracted with the other two um, and then lays the book of Hobbs on the chest of Miro, whether or not that's his goodbye to that gimmick was about as clear as whether or not this was his goodbye to QTV because he didn't out and out endorse their attack but he was certainly more than happy to take advantage of it and position himself as the heel and it did position both men as a fight that is only fitting of all out rather than all in, which again to me was just a kind of fundamental problem with how there seems to be a rule within the AW storytelling universe that some wrestlers care about wrestling at Wembley Stadium and some don't. And look, I've <laughs> I understand that a lot of people will think that this might be British bias. This might be attendance bias. I don't. Any other kind of bias you can think of? Uh, recency bias based on something that hasn't yet occurred. I don't know, but it does feel like there are certain. The, f- the fan base feels divided at the moment on those that believe this Wembley show to be as significant as the attendance makes it or those that just see it as rebellion or insurrection but in a stadium. And I've seen a lot of the event is the story, you know, all in 2018. Five years later, it becomes this massive company. It sets a record all in 2023. Uh, I think both narratives are open to contemplation. I'm personally of the former. I believe that an 80,000 crowd is an 80,000 crowd. If it's a paid attendance, if it's not a collision in career, paid show, if it's not a complete novelty event, which this certainly wasn't presented as, you do want this to be your be-all and end-all. You want it to be the still point with which every wrestler revolves around. And yet, plenty have, uh, just simply in this case, barreled right through it to want to wrestle at All Out. I understand the business reasons. I'm not stupid nor am I naive to AW having to promote two shows because they've put themselves in this situation. But uh, it would certainly be nice for everybody to take the Pucci approach, you know. When you're not in a Wembley match, you should be talking about being in a Wembley match. This should be be-all and end-all. This should be secondary only to wanting to win the title in your division, in my opinion. And that doesn't seem to be something that they've adopted within AEW. Um, there was a story that broke last week that the Young Bucks were only taking the FTR match because they'd re-signed. Why in reality wouldn't the Young Bucks just want that match regardless of their contract status, even if it meant they were leaving on the way out? You know, CM Punk brought up Wembley Stadium in that promo somewhat stubbornly the other week. Um, It felt a little bit like a transgression, but was he too trying to make the point of, well, I should be talking about Wembley Stadium. My character should be talking about Wembley Stadium. Every character should be talking about Wembley Stadium. And again, I'm sure plenty of people listen to this podcast and the sound of my voice if they've not already switched off. Uh, don't think that this is anywhere near as big a deal as I'm making it. Plenty of yous have told me so over the weekend, so the issue will likely run and run. But yeah, uh, didn't love didn't love that. Plenty of people disagree and think there was absolutely nothing wrong in this. And look, Hobbs and Miro is going to kick ass. What match at all in isn't going to kick ass. Every match at a takeover used to kick ass, and look how that worked out. Just think about that too. Um, anyway... Speaking of the punker, I guess, and matches that matter, we go to the House of Black versus CMFTR, the main event of the show for the Trios Championship, something 
of a dream match between these two sides. You kind of your your collision main eventers versus House of Black. Look, even if Wilborn was here and we just swapped seats, I still wouldn't be able to do this match justice in terms of recaps. But I want to credit both teams with what they crafted here. This was yet another long collision main event, but I don't use long in the pejorative sense. This went the fat end of half an hour as a lot of these FTR slash collision main events have gone. Um, and I just thought it was a match of two halves split into a lot of um, flashy, exciting, the old phrase would be flashbulb moments where all the cameras come out. I'm, of course, referring mostly to CM Punk and Malachi Black's cross-legged, I was going to say standoff, but a sit-off, I guess. Um, the two of them had... Just fabulous chemistry together all night. We've known for the longest time that CM Punk has really wanted to sink his teeth into something with Brody King, and he certainly got the opportunity to here. But yeah, there was a, a lot of um, early doors, high octane, very visually pleasing action between the two sides. Um, you had FTR desperately trying to um, double team Brody, figure that problem out, unlock that puzzle. Punk came in as well, uh, using leg lariats and like. Um, you had the, as I say, the, the Punk and Malachi Black face-off. Um, they're so in tune with one of the skill set that they're able to block kicks as well as hitting kicks. Um, you have FTR and the House of Black trying to get back in the ring. And it's when Punk goes for the GTS that uh, Malachi Black slides off and you two of them do the cross-legged pose right in front of each other for just a monster, monster reaction in the building. A um, couple of notes I should point out from the start of the match as well. You had CM Punk looking dead in the eyes of um, several uh, signs that were more than a little bit critical of him from the um, obviously the actions of brawl out and whatnot. There was a hangman was right line um, uh, sign, excuse me, uh, and CM Punk is boring. I think was another one, and CM Punk again divisively controversially was wearing a SAG Afra. Uh, t-shirt again a great issue to support but one that was destined to be thorny because obviously there are a number of uh contradictions maybe within the law of cm punk um based on pretty much any wrestler you speak to who's going to have an opinion one way or another and indeed hangman page workers rights line was where all of this allegedly started so um you have a feeling that the punk knew what he was doing there as well Back to the match. Uh, the second half of the match is very much the House of Black trying to wear down the baby faces. They're kind of locked in their offense as a trio. Um, it's FTR desperately trying to work their way back into the match. Um, there's a, a spot where the champions are able to tag it. Excuse me, the tag team champions are able to tag it in and they try, the three of them with Punk, try and set up a shot machine on Brody King, but he's simply too big. Uh, so they have to work and beat him down and hit it again for a massive reaction when Brody King goes all the way up. Uh, there's a Punk and FTR version of the Powerplex that rather than ending with the uh, splash, ends with a CM Punk elbow drop. Never had his ugly-ass elbow drop. Drop looked quite as realistic because the desperation of that man to fling his body across the side of the ring felt completely real, which was pretty cool. Um, so after that, yes, after you've had the the shot machine on Brody King, um, everything goes a little bit mad. Um, Punk dives to the floor while Dax hits a diving headbutt in the ring, but then the camera cuts to the uh, audience where Samoa Joe away from a spotlight, away from a camera, anything, appears to have CM Punk in a choke in the Kikini clutch on the arena floor. He's in the audience amongst the crowd. We finally get a bit of light on that, but then while the camera is focusing on that, we go back to the ring where Brody King has defeated Dax with a spinning lariat. 
which unfortunately we were only able to pick up the full extent of in the replays because a bit of a production snafu here on AEW's part, and not for the first time this week. We had obviously this occurring with the uh, Blackpool Combat Club and the Penta's mask theft that wasn't clear until the replay. So, of course, you got the two incidents, Joe choking CM Punk out in the crowd and House of Black using this to get the win. But you weren't able to catch either because they were kind of behind the eight ball on both shots. By the time we cut to Punk, he was already being choked out. By the time we come back to the ring, it was virtually all over. The replay did clean it up for us a little bit. You could see when Punk had dived to the floor, Samoa Joe arrived um, as he was sort of lent up against the barricade and pulled him head first over the barricade into the choke, um, following through on his words from earlier on that he was going to take action to ensure that Punk was listening to his challenge. Uh, and of course, that left um, FTR outnumbered and easy pickings for the Yeek who have retained their trio's titles. And again, much like the um, Hobbs Miro thing, we're yet to know if House of Black particularly care about defending their trio's belts on, I'm going to use their lines again, the biggest event in wrestling history. We'll wait to see, I guess. Um, but yeah, a big uh, a big moment for the House of Black, I guess, to get the victory over the collision headliners. A bruising loss for FTR and CM Punk, but one that should hopefully be remembered more for the House of Black being this kind of indestructible trio, especially if they're due to go into one more battle with the acclaimed and a potentially retiring Billy Gunn. And uh, obviously not the momentum that Punk and FTR would want going into their respective big matches at Wembley Stadium either. So that was Collision. Like I say, overall, I feel like it was the weakest collision of the bunch so far. Um, despite an excellent main event, um, CM Punk, I put this on Twitter, um, so the few that follow me will forgive me, but I just find the way that CM Punk in particular has found this way with, um, you know, you could just call it pose mimicking. Certainly Malachi Black's done that before. Certainly Punk has done that before, in recent weeks even, with someone like a Ricky Starks. But it's how he hides and obscures stuff specifically that I'm so impressed by still. Um just a real thinking man's pro in there, and yet another furnace. These matches are of such a tremendous standard, even if Punk's elbow is sloppy as all hell. Um, I just find every single one of them. It's Your mileage may vary, I guess, because Punk's execution is kind of unique to himself and not necessarily um, that of some of the uh, younger wrestlers or indeed the wrestlers that have just kind of advanced the medium of in-ring in the time that Punk's been away. But... That is one of the benefits, I think, of what he offers to AEW as an in-ring guy. Still a general, still a man that just knows the whens, wheres, and whys of just about every step he takes in there. And I find him to be just an absolutely captivating presence as a result. Um, And undoubtedly, these uh, reactions that I guess have been compared unfavorably to John Cena because of how mixed they are, are nonetheless creating an atmosphere like just about nothing else in arena pro wrestling at the moment. Um, There's not a punk match you're kind of permitted to forget when it takes place on collision, which is real skill considering the wrestling that you may consume in a week and just how full the diet is and indeed how high quality the diet is as well. So uh, shout out to Punk for that, but I don't want to just isolate praise to him when there were five others in there that were absolutely kicking ass. Another great night for FTR. They're, I know this wasn't for the tag belts, but they're feeling totally legitimized as a tag team at this point and in exactly the right spot they need to be in for this Young Bucks match to feel like the dream it is. Meanwhile, as we said about House of Black, interesting to see if they'll have any more challenges, but certainly um, they lost the Andrade feud, but feel completely rehabilitated, while, of course, Andrade gets to plough forward off the back of his first major win. Uh, And yet they remain dominant and scary champions, so we'll be tied whoever steps up to them. And that was our collision. 
thank you so much, earnestly, sincerely, if you stuck with me all by myself for this one. I apologise that my recaps are not as detailed as the great Adam Wilborn's. Uh, for those um, that are worried that too many more podcasts will sound like this, they won't, I assure you. I will try, if I can, to get out a raw preview today. If I'm unable to, uh, check out www.com for nothing and enjoy that show. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow with the raw review and the NXT preview, of which there will be company company joining me on the desks or indeed digitally. Um, but thank you again for joining us, for spending some of your time with me today at least. Send your best wishes to Adam Wilborn. Until the next time, we will see you soon. <laughs>